Kurt Cobain, Part Three, in the Actors' Room, Episode Number Fifty Five. Last week, I said that was Episode Number Fifty Five. Wrong. I edited it and I didn't catch it. Shame on me. Now, the first time I listened to it last week, while I did the editing, I was like, "Fuck." I said 55, it's not, I have to correct that later, and I didn't. I forgot to correct it, so all of you out there who uh, picked that up, or maybe me pointing it out is a bad idea, I'm now pointing things out to you that I did wrong, and maybe you didn't notice, so you're like, oh, he fucked up, I probably should have said nothing, but anyways, this episode, number 55, And every time I kind of get to, um, like, a 50th was a big deal, and 45 I felt was a big deal, I get to the fives or the zeros, kind of like pointing that out, five at a time, um, and I find myself going 55, and I'm still here, and I gotta tell you this, and I want to be straight up honest with you, there are times where during the week I go, this might be the last one. Isn't that crazy? I'm disheartened that the show really isn't growing that much. And I feel like I'm wasting my time. I enjoy doing these. But if I'm not reaching enough people, I feel that um, I'm wasting my money and time. And although I enjoy it and I get a lot out of it, Learning about these guys and women and learning about shows and movies and all that stuff. It's great. I love to do it. It's, it's a passion for me. I get a lot out of it. But then I think to myself, hmm, does anybody really care? I think some people do, but not enough. And I find myself thinking this might actually be the last person I talk about And I just might end it. And then I think to myself, my brother, you know, he's really getting into this now. And I know he wants to do a few other things. And that kind of keeps me going. But if I were doing it alone, plus the fact we were talking about changing the show, maybe I need to do that. Maybe there's something off. But getting back on track, I just wanted to point that out to you because... uh, I would hope that after about a year, and it's been about a year, a little over, 55 episodes, you get a pretty good feel if your show is going to be something or, you know, I keep holding out to look at my numbers one day and it kind of takes that next step where I go, oh my God, wow, there's people actually listening uh, and the number itself tells me, go forward encouragement, so on. Haven't reached that yet. And after a year, mm, feeling that it may not be going on (laughs) for too much longer, but I'm going to keep on trucking, continue on talking about Kurt Cobain. Doing my research this week. Wow. It's going to be Four parts. First time ever. The parts thing, it is 
what it is. A lot of information. Uh, Kurt Cobain, somebody I want to talk about, and I don't want to half-ass it. There's so much information that I find interesting, and I hope that you do too. This guy had a lot going on, like I've said before, in my other... Now, this is number three. My other two episodes of Kurt explaining there's a lot going on with this guy. A lot going on in his head and his heart that I wanted to talk about. Because I want to talk about it, It's he's so popular. Uh, I want to give you a good example. I grew up listening to Kurt Cobain's music in Nirvana. He broke out in the early 90s, and I was a teenager. Uh, Their music, uh, I could identify with. I loved it, and I still do to this day. Kind of got away from it when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, but I'm back on board. I listen to them a lot today. So he reached out and touched those around him and his music immediately. Uh, My daughter has a friend that lives across the street. Okay, And he is a big fan of Nirvana at the age of 15. I like that. And my daughter, Lexi, nine years old, mind you, she has liked Nirvana for a few years. Even yesterday, I have my earphones on and I'm doing things around the house. You know, just cleaning up, putting things away. And I like to listen to music while I do that. I'm either listening to a podcast or I'm listening to music. And I play my music really loud. Like the loudest you can go. I love to hear my music loudly. I want to feel it. I'm all about that. If you haven't gotten that by now, I like to feel it, people. The art, the music, the movies. I like to feel it, hear it. So my music is blaring in my headphones. And when I walk by, you can hear what I'm listening to. And Lexi, my little one, said, oh, Nirvana. She knows Nirvana now. She goes, is that a Nirvana song? And I said, yes, it is. <laughs> you know. And I took off my earphones. And I unplugged them. And I set my phone down by her. She was eating uh, something at the dinner table. She was having some spaghetti and meatballs. And I put it right next to her. And I played her favorite of Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. She loves that one. So I played it for her and I said, if you want to listen to any more, that's up to you. You know, some of their music is not really appropriate or I don't know if it's, I don't know, right for her to listen to. Some of their songs are kind of raw. And I said, if something doesn't sound right, go ahead and press the little arrow here. It'll go to the next song. And she, she said, okay. I wanted to point that out because Kurt Cobain and Nirvana uh, reached many different age levels, like me in my 40s, and uh, kids in their teens, and even preteens enjoy his music. And I think that is intriguing to me. And I just realized that yesterday. I said, wow. I mean, even my nine year old daughter likes Nirvana. I think that's saying something. Am I right? I think. I think it is. I really do. So let's go ahead. 
and talk further about Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. This part of his life, like I said, it's going to be four parts. And that's just the way it is. A lot of information. And in 1990, busy times for Kurt and Nirvana. The band was on the road again. Then they took advantage of the Evergreen State College campus while the students were away on spring break. They used their TV studio. The idea was to put together an hour-long video of footage. Nirvana footage, just jamming out. Thought it might be a good idea to do that. Kurt Cobain was all about the visuals. Like I stated in his, I think his first episode, he enjoyed acting in front of the camera at a young age. I think he was a teenager, pretty young teenager. He made short films. He was all about the visuals. He liked being behind the camera as well as being in front of it. And feeling that his interest in video, um, the camera, performing, made me realize that he would have been a decent actor if he tried it. But him being intrigued with video, he had the ability to use all of his other art that he had done in the past as far as paintings. He did collages, uh, lots of different colors, a lot of different images, interesting, dark, a little creepy, um, but they grabbed you visually. He was about that. And they went ahead and made a hour-long video. And they thought, well, Kurt did, they can make this thing, and then he can sell it to his fans. Broaden uh, their scope of who they were reaching. Uh, Kurt had a keen mind on promoting the band. I know he had said in the past how he wanted Nirvana to be this you know, small little band. And if they make money, that's great. If they don't, it's okay. It's all about the art and the feel and all that stuff. Uh, not so much. Kurt wanted this band to be successful. He didn't want it to be just a garage band. He wanted to make money at this. I mean, you're working so hard. You know, you have those underground bands, they call them. The ones that say they'll never go mainstream. They do it for the music, for the art. And there are underground fans that really do appreciate that. And look up to the bands that don't sell out. Kurt had no problem promoting and wanting his band to go to the next level. Why not make some fucking money out of this, if it's possible? So he did all he could do to expand his fan base. And thinking making this video would get him going in the right places. They rehearsed at a building called the Dutchman during this time. Uh, Nirvana went to work on a song called, remember this one? Uh, Sort of an inspiration of this song was Kurt's friend, Dylan Carlson. A song called In Bloom. And also, the other song they were sort of rehearsing at this time and working out the kinks was Lithium. Now, drummer Chad Channing said he distinctly, distinctly, distinctly remembers that when they were recording in Bloom, 
Kurt came in the first day, presented it to him. Said, this is what I got. They played it a few times, and Chad remembers that. When they started playing it, it just clicked. The song was great. Kurt did his homework, wrote a great song, and they knew it. They knew that song was going to be just a success. Recording for Nirvana, it went well for the most part, but Kurt was showing signs of moodiness. And it was going on in these sessions. It was reported that he was in and out of his darkness. He would be so quiet. Then you would see him sitting in the corner of the room, alone, brooding. People believe he suffered from manic depression. It's a serious thing, folks. It's a serious thing. High one moment and very low the next. And when you're around people like that, boy, it throws you for a loop. You never know what you're going to get. Okay? You can have really happy Kurt. Everything positive. It's going to be a great day. And then, the next day, he's hard to just talk to. Uh, He looks through you. All he wants to do is get done what he wants to get done. And then get the fuck out. And Kurt would go through things like this. Very normal thing. Manic depression. His personality was going in all sorts of different directions. And it confused people. Then this happened. Kurt was growing tired of Chad Channing's drumming ability. Now, Chad was a nice fill-in for the most part. After the first drummer, Burkhart, was out of the picture, Kurt believed the band had the chance at greatness. And he didn't want to be held back by anything or anyone. Chad was good. Maybe even great. But not what Kurt wanted or needed for the band. And its sound. There was a rift between Kurt and Chad. It came to a head one day. Kurt got behind the drums. And attempted to show Chad how to play in bloom. And do it correctly. Now Kurt wasn't the best drummer. But he enjoyed it. One of the first instruments he ever played. Was the drums. The drums and guitar. So he loved to bang away at them. Not the best. But he got behind the drums. And got his point across to Chad. This is the way to do it, buddy. Do it right. (laughs) All right, man. Uh, I just want to apologize. I made a mistake like five seconds ago and I had to erase something. I do that in my podcast. I'll fuck up a word. And if it's bad enough, I stop it. I'll go back and I erase shit. And in the process of doing that, I listen to myself a little bit. Oh, fuck. I sound like I'm either underwater or I have a pillow over my nose. This is some bad times, man. I feel like I could uh, lay down, okay, and just fall asleep for about five days. I just feel like I'm getting a cold. It's a mess in there. My head, like a head cold going on. It feels like, or it feels like, it sounds like I'm doing this episode holding my nose. Like something stinks. But I'm not holding my nose. It may sound like I'm holding my nose. But I'm not. 
I'm just uh, stuffy up in that area there. It's a mess. Uh, so I'm going to do the best I can to make this show sound decent. Now, my voice pretty much is okay. It's just, you know, when, it, when you're that clogged up and stuffy up in that area up there in the head, it just makes your voice sound really strange. You know, very nasally. I'm kind of like that naturally. And when this happens, it just makes it worse. I listen to myself and I'm like, boy, do I sound horrible. But I'm going to get back to my notes here. I was talking about, uh, oh yeah, Chad. Good old Chad Channing. The drummer of Nirvana is making Kurt a little uneasy about things. Kurt feels he's just not good enough. He's fine. Excellent fill-in for the past how many months? Filling in for Burkhart. Uh, really doing them a great favor. Um, but Kurt feels they could do better. Plus, Chad shows up late to a gig. And I, it's, it's Kurt's just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm already kind of, you know, on the fence with you. And then you show up late to a gig. And Kurt took out his frustrations on his drum set. <laughs> and I guess Iggy Pop. Good old Iggy Pop showing up. A big part of the David Bowie episode. Iggy Pop was in the audience that night. And Kurt was just all flustered. So flustered. The band performed horribly. Kurt was so pissed. Because he felt Nirvana was better than that. They could give him a better performance. And it was less than mediocre. Chris Novoselic was so upset by this. Their performance. He actually shaved his head. True story. The very next day. Kurt broke up with Tracy. His longtime girlfriend. First real girlfriend. Over. He broke it off with her. On her birthday. Ouch. Ooh, Kurt. Kurt was falling for her friend. And her name was Toby Vale. Double ouch. It was not long after this that Chad Channing was gone for good. Ousted from Nirvana. Both Kurt and Chris went to his house. And broke the news. Kurt was quoted. As saying this about the incident. Quote. I felt like I just killed someone. End of quote. And before I move on. Touching upon this. Kurt feeling Chad. Not good enough to be in the band. And having that feeling of. Eventually. If this guy doesn't leave the band. I'm going to have to kick him out. And that's a hard thing to do. It's the right decision for the band. Yes. But hard to do. They both went to his house. Sat down with him. And explained. Chad. You're not good enough to be in the band. That's got to hurt so much for Chad. I don't know how much his heart. Was into Nirvana. And you know. Chad didn't know how big. They were going to be. He was in other bands before that. And Nirvana was one of them. 
And who knows what happened to the other bands that Chad was in. But Kurt was like, Chad, I'm sorry. We're moving on without you. That had to be a hard thing to do. Now, I've never, ever had to fire anyone. I'm not really a manager. I run a site where like, I pretty much run everything in my, uh, my little office. But I don't have people like under me. Where I have to tell what to do and hire and fire people. I've never done that. My wife has to do that. She's a manager at Jenny Craig. And she's been doing it a while. And I really give her props. And I admire her. She has to do that. She has to hire people. And sometimes she's got to fire people too. I would be a mess having to do that. Kurt, in the same respect, had to fire Chad. Bye. And then hope and pray they find a replacement. Kurt was spending a lot of time with his new girlfriend, Toby. She didn't want to place a title on their relationship. We hung out a lot, she said. I enjoyed his company. You talk with people. You find them interesting. You talk to them some more. And you're attracted to somebody. Guess what? You have sex with them. Don't put a title to it. Just be. That was her sort of thing. This Toby girl. That uh, Kurt and Toby. I don't think classified themselves. As girlfriend and boyfriend. I think Kurt saw Toby. As a girlfriend. Toby on the other hand. Not so much. He's just a guy I like to hang out with. Jam with. And have sex with. No title. That's just the way it is. You know, some people are like that. I mean, what do you need a title for? We're together. Do, do I have to? Why make it official? Especially when you're dating. It's like, you know, uh, if you're married, yeah. I mean, that's when you say, okay, we're getting married now. Put a title to it. You know, we don't see anybody else. Even though there are open relationships like David Bowie did. David Bowie had an open relationship with his wife. They were married, but they were free to see other people and have sex with them. And I explained in that episode, don't get that. Why get married? Just stay whatever you are. Why put a name to it? Uh, I So I, when you're dating someone, I get that. Oh, 100%. So no title for Toby and Kurt. They listened to music together. They simply enjoyed being around one another. And at this time, Kurt found some downtime, which was rare at that time. They seemed to be really grinding, uh, playing every gig they could, uh, plus the fact they rehearsed and practiced a lot. Well, I guess in that summer of 1990, Kurt found some downtime. And in his downtime, collaborated with his buddy Dylan, again, with the band Earth, And also with Toby, his new girlfriend, as well. She would rock out, too. And Kurt and Toby would actually write music together and sing each other's songs. So from what I get is Kurt would have his songs that he wrote. And Toby would have her songs that she wrote. And they would mix it up. He would take her music that she wrote and sing it. And she would do the same. She claims a lot of their brainstorming. Ended up inspiring 
several Nirvana songs in the future. She said Kurt was super interesting, inspiring, and just fun to play with. Kurt and the band decided to stay with Buzz Osborne during the summer with the Melvins in California. Buzz took them to see a band called The Scream. A guy named David Grohl was their drummer. After the show, Kurt kept talking about the band, especially the drummer Dave. He said, boy, I wish we could get a drummer like that. Then Nirvana started on the road again. They opened for Sonic Youth. Now keep in mind that Kurt and Chris had fired Chad Channing. They had a few replacements at this time, but of course, they weren't pleased with them. Then a stroke of luck. The band that Dave Grohl was in called The Scream split up. I guess the bassist of this band was going through some shit with his girlfriend. It got nasty and he quit. And that was that. Band over. The Scream done. The door opens for both Nirvana and David Grohl. Nirvana caught a nice break. And so did Dave Grohl. Dave was a monster on the drums. And get this. It only took one practice. With Chris and Kurt. Okay. With Dave Grohl behind the drum set. And Kurt was convinced. Just one practice. They found their guy. Kurt Cobain and David Grohl even lived together at one point. Dave remembers quiet and weird nights. The place was a mess. Kurt would be upstairs writing songs, and Dave would be downstairs, lounging on a tiny little sofa that was about four feet long. I'm over six feet tall, Dave said. God, was that uncomfortable. Grohl was dating a girl called Kathleen. So, of course, she was around the band, just like Kurt's girlfriend. Toby. One day, Kathy wrote on the wall that Kurt smelled like teen spirit. And I guess teen spirit was a deodorant, and I guess Kurt smelled like it because that's what his girlfriend wore. Ah, uh, yeah, this uh, smells like teen spirit song, huge, right? I never really got the title of that song when I was younger. I'm like, what a weird fucking title. Smells like teen spirit. I'm like, what does that mean? I didn't know that teen spirit was a deodorant. I guess it's a girl's deodorant. I don't even know if they still have it today. I I don't know. I don't wear girl's deodorant. What a weird title. But Kurt remembers this incident, of course, and will never forget it. And of course, uses it in the near future for the song. October 11th of 1990, Grohl played his first show with Nirvana in Olympia. The show sold out in one day. Then it was a European tour they went on next. Nirvana was starting to sell out their shows here. Mind you, the audience was around 600 people, but not bad. They're selling out. And that's a good thing. Their popularity, slowly growing. This is when Nirvana and Kurt were getting the chance to meet other bands that they admired 
and inspired them. Uh, and I want to talk about this for a moment because you have a band, a young Nirvana band, that got a lot of inspiration and admiration for bands that inspired them. They're going through the motions of creating music through the the music that they've listened to in the past. And now that they're getting their feet wet in the business, doing a little better, and getting a more popular feel to them, they're able to now meet these people that they have looked up to. They're becoming available to Kurt, Chris, and Dave. Kurt was very nervous about this. Meeting his idols scared him. He was nervous about it. He sweat, he stumbled around, stuttered, and really didn't want to meet them at first. He was so scared. I find that fucking adorable. I would probably be the same way. I'm a shy guy too, like Kurt, in a way. And uh, if I was faced with my idol or someone that I really looked up to, it would be hard for me to act normal. And Kurt felt the same way at this point in his life, before he hit it big. He had a chance to meet his idols and was nervous about it. So I thought I'd point that out. I like showing signs or sides of these people that, you know, we don't know about. Kurt Cobain was nervous around other people. That makes you go, interesting, of course. I think we forget that. They were, you know, at one point Kurt Cobain wasn't uh, popular. He was just a normal guy trying to make his way, a normal kid trying to fit in sometimes. And then when he realized that he wasn't going to fit in, uh, he went ahead and uh, changed things up in his life and said, you know what, I'm a different kind of guy. I'm going to be different. And he was. In November of 1990, Kurt and Toby, his girlfriend, broke up. Now, it is rumored that Kurt broke it off because he wasn't happy with his position in life. He was just a wreck, David Grohl said. Kurt was hurting deep inside. Nobody really knew how far down it went, but it went deep. It was like we wouldn't understand his hurt. So why even talk about it, his friends said. And I think it was at this time... Don't quote me on this. This is my opinion. This is when he started doing heroin. Um, Not started. He had done it. He had done heroin for the first time when he lived in Aberdeen. Uh, This was around the time he was living with Tracy Miranda, his first real girlfriend. Uh, He only did it a few times. And Tracy was interviewed about this and was shocked. Just completely floored. That this rumor, because it really is a rumor that he was doing heroin back in the day in Aberdeen. She was really surprised at that. Uh, The fact that he was doing heroin when he was living with her. She said, I would have never guessed it. Um, Him only doing it a few times. He wasn't a chronic user back then. But she was shocked. Uh, She said, he never made any impression to me that he did heroin. And one of the reasons why, you know, I say she was shocked is because Tracy says that her and Kurt would make fun of the junkies in Aberdeen and said, 
Man, I would never do that. That's destroying you. That's pathetic. I'd never do heroin. But he ended up uh, taking it. Stomach issues, um, manic depression, uh, stress, everything rolled into one. Kurt Cobain started using heroin more than he should have at this point in his life. And it starts to show now. His moodiness gets worse. Worse and worse. Cobain went on a writing spree because of his broken heart and all the other shit going on. He broke it off, the relationship, but he was reeling because of it. This is when Kurt started to incorporate the drug use, depression into his music. I think that he had been doing that for a while, you know, without maybe the drugs. I mean, he did smoke weed. But, yeah, I mean, that's not a hardcore drug. Um, but now that he was doing heroin uh, and doing it often, he would incorporate it into his music. He told his bandmates what he had done using heroin. Chris was not happy. Dave inquired about this, though. What's it like? He asked. Shitty. Replied Kurt, it sucked. It's stupid. Kurt said he wouldn't do it again. And we believed him, they said. It was just one of those things. Whatever. But like I said from my research, you know, he had done it in the past. And obviously, he was interested in it. A short time after this, Nirvana did a show. And released some of their newer songs. People were taking notice. Even a critic remarked. That after hearing Lithium. It was destined to break the top 40. Then it happened. Nirvana got a record deal. It was a David Geffen production. They did it. They signed on the dotted line. Alright. They got this record contract right. Doing very well. They're growing in popularity. They now got a record contract with David Geffen. Things are looking up. But I want to point this out. Being in a band, it takes a long time to reap the benefits of having a successful band. That means making money. It doesn't come in right away. Oh, we signed the record contract and there's cash falling down from the sky. No, sir. That's not the way it works. You have to sign the contract, right? You don't get all this money straight up. You get the money. If your record sells, then you get the money. And even then it takes time to have things kind of roll in and then a percentage is taken out here and then shit's taken out over there. It's not like Nirvana gets all the money. You know, there's a lot of other shit that goes along with it. So they definitely at this time, you know, not rich, And financially in trouble. And I want to point this out. It was so bad that the fact they didn't have any money yet. (laughs) Um, And just being miserable. They were like living in this little apartment. Kurt and Dave Grohl. And it was like depressing. And it's just like the, the weather was crappy outside. Always raining. And they were just so depressed. Plus the fact They had to sell 
pawn off some of their equipment to eat. And what did they eat? Corn dogs. 1991, the band was getting better, little by little. Dave Grohl proved to be the missing piece that Kurt was looking for. Even others remarked how Nirvana kicked up a notch since Grohl got behind the drums. He hit the drums so fucking hard, they would say. He was incredibly strong. The recording of Nevermind went well. They roomed at a nice hotel nearby while they recorded this album. Nice hotel rooms, right? Not a normal thing for this band. They were usually not in nice hotel rooms. Plus, California weather suited them well. But they completely destroyed their rooms. It was like an atom bomb went off. And there was shit everywhere. Beer bottles here, clothes there, food here, albums scattered everywhere. Chris ended up actually getting a DUI at one point. He and Kurt did some mushrooms as the evening started. Then Chris was swinging from a whiskey bottle that night. They decided to go somewhere. Not a good call. Might want to stay in. Chris drove. Kurt hated driving, by the way. Most people say that Kurt Cobain drove like a little old lady. Thought I'd point that out, little tidbit. But anyway, Chris Novoselic drove. And of course, they get pulled over. Chris was drinking and driving, literally. Had a whiskey bottle right at the his hand, right in the ready. I guess there was about a quarter left of alcohol in this bottle. He had drunk more than half of it that night. And realized that, oh shit, this is bad. I'm kind of drunk. Ah, I got a beer bottle here. Not a beer bottle, a whiskey bottle right here. And the cop just pulled me over. This isn't good. I got to get rid of this. So he downed the rest of the whiskey. Gulped it down. So in the 30 seconds it took for the cop to get from his car, right, to Chris's car, He downed the rest. He was so completely fucked. Chris was arrested and put in the slammer. Kurt still tripping on shrooms. (laughs) Had to walk back to hotel. Which was seven miles down the road. At 2am. And I guess you know they had to go ahead and bail Chris out. Because they had a recording the next day. (laughs) I I gotta tell you. It's really. I'm making so many mistakes this week. I think I've made about 30 mistakes already. I'm about halfway done or more, more than that. And I have to go back and erase stuff because I keep messing up. Like, I keep mispronouncing words. I'm tired, folks. I can't tell you. I'm so tired. Okay, I got to explain myself. Okay. Work is super busy. That's number one. Constantly moving around at work. This is the busiest we've ever been. I've been with Xerox for over 15 years. This is the busiest I've ever been. The amount of paper I go through. I like start crying for the trees. There's trees out there going, Oh my God. What are you doing? I feel so... Okay. 
And like, just, you know, family stuff with the kids. And, you know, I don't feel good. I'm tired. <laughs> so I'm making mistakes. I apologize. But anyways, the point I want to make here is when I go back and I have to erase shit, which I'm doing a lot of right now, I listen to myself. And notice I really do talk too fast. And I'm trying to kind of slow myself down. Like, I don't know if it's my brain that thinks too fast. Is that it? Like, my it's my brain? Because I listen to my favorite podcast to listen to, and has been for a few years now, is Generation Y. And the two hosts of that show, I think their names, I can't think of, Aaron and Justin. The way they talk, they talk so calm, these two. It's like they're drugged up on like downers or they're just so calm. They just have a conversation with one another. They never really get excited. Like when I talk, I'm an excited talker. Like there's a lot of uh, color maybe to my voice. The way I talk, there's a lot uh, going on, a lot of balance, whatever. They talk so monotone. Like, I wonder if I could try. I'm going to try to do this. Uh, This is a little experiment. Uh, You're going to go along with me on this. I'm having a little fun right now. Here we go. Fuck it, right? It's my fucking show. I'm going to try to do it. Like, And if you know what I'm talking about, the Generation Y podcast, it's a true crime podcast. They are fucking huge. I mean, I think they're actually like one of the top 50 podcasts out there. They're that big. And if they're not, they're top 100. So I'm sure some of you out there know who they are and how they talk. I'm going to try to do some of my show as if I am either Aaron or Justin because these two guys, they're friends. They've been friends forever. They finish their own sentences, okay, or each other's sentences. They're that good. Like, they just got that feel. But they talk real quiet-like. So here we go. I'm going to do the show like they would. I'm going to see if I can do it. 1 p.m. Midnight. <laughs> I uh, try. This is really weird. Okay. I'm going <clears> to <throat> take two. 1 p.m. to midnight. Nirvana records. David Grohl. (laughs) I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. David Grohl. (laughs) David Grohl. David Grohl hits the drum set so hard that he breaks his set and they have to change out his drum set. More cough syrup and whiskey is drunk. Can't do it, folks. I feel like I'm a fucking robot. And when I do listen to their podcast, I think to myself, the content's fucking amazing. But they're so boring. They truly are. Once in a while, one of them, I think Justin, 
He'll kind of laugh or, you know, have fun with something. Aaron, not so much. He's just so monotone. But the information that both of them have and their opinions on cases like true crime stuff is what makes that show work. Plus, they work so well together. Uh, You know that they go out and they do their research and they come back and they go over their research, collaborate and go, okay, I'm going to say this, you're going to say that. And when they sit down to do the podcast, it's so well, it feels so natural, the two of them. Like one will talk about something and stop and then the other will continue on without missing a beat. Great show. Generation Y. And now they've branched out each of them and are doing their own show. So obviously I can't act like like I'm trying to sound so monotone. Like the next thing on my <clears throat> my list here was that from 1 p.m. to midnight, right? Nirvana would record. And I'm saying it and it makes sense to me and I said it because that's the way I would say it. But it's not the way they would say it. They'd be like, <clears throat> 1 p.m. to midnight, Nirvana records. And, and then, you know, my flow is fucking up. Like, I'm reading my notes, and <clears throat> as I said that, I'm lost. It's like it's not flowing, like, enough. And as an actor, <clears throat> if I were to take that on as a role, like, okay, I'm going to have to be Aaron and Justin and do this uh, episode, like them. I'd have to practice that, man. I just can't do it like that. When I did a play and I had to have an Italian uh, dialect, I had to speak Italian. Or not speak it, but have that accent. I'm like, I have no idea how to do that. I had to sit down and watch The Godfather and, 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 and listen to Italian dialect to get it. And when I finally studied it, I was able to do it and do it well. Uh... But if you don't practice it, you lose it. Like right now, I don't think I could do it as well as I did back when I was a teenager doing that accent. So it goes to show you how hard acting is. And that's what this show is called, The Actor's Room. And yes, I know, Kurt Cobain, not an actor. But I think that if he would have tried it, it would have been really fun to watch Kurt Cobain do a movie. And the rumor is that Kurt could have been in Pulp Fiction. The rumor is that uh, Tarantino wanted Kurt to play the role that Eric Stoltz played in the movie Pulp Fiction. But I think that rumor is not true. Uh, Tarantino has denied that. That he wanted Kurt to be in the movie. And I think that that character that Stoltz played, okay, uh, he sold... Uh, He was a dealer, okay? He was a heroin dealer, probably among other things. And kind of looked like Kurt Cobain a little bit. You could tell. Eric Stoltz might have used Kurt as uh, an example to do that role. Uh, But a little insight on things being bantered back and forth in the respect that Kurt Cobain was interested in doing film. So I think I proved my point that I can't do this episode like Generation Y. I'm going to do it my way, and it'll sound better, right? Okay, so, all right. Drummer David Grohl would bang on his drums so hard that he would bust them up 
very often, and they would have to replace them. When they did the album, never mind, Kurt would drink cough syrup. Again, they had done this previous, and I think he would drink the cough syrup, okay? Because not only would it give him a nice little buzz, but would help with his voice. Kurt did a lot of screaming and yelling when he sang. And the cough medicine helped in many different ways. <laughs> Kurt was being difficult again. And people around him would say he was just hard to figure out. He didn't want to sing a lot when they did the recordings. One or two takes. And that's all he wanted to do. That was enough. And if it went four, by God, it never went any further than that. Lithium was hard to record. Kurt got frustrated. His voice would break and go to a point where Chris Novoselic would get scared at the places that Kurt was going. Kurt went there. The song Polly was an interesting one on the album. This was actually written in 1987, way back in the day. And it was a true story that he based it on. There was a young girl, 14 years old, returning home from a rock concert. She walked home by herself. She was picked up by a 49-year-old man, abducted her, raped her, abused her, tortured her with the blowtorch. This is a true story, folks. Kept her around for a long time in bondage. The little girl, the 14-year-old, decided her best course of action was to give in and make her capturer, her abductor, make him believe that she liked him. And it was such an intriguing case and story that Kurt put a song to it. Polly. Kurt really cared about the editing process in the album. Mixing and all. And he would go on to say this later. That he was sort of surprised that he cared that much about logistics. How things sounded. uh, Being in the right room having the right acoustic feel, and the mixing process. How one instrument had to be at the right volume. Sometimes a guitar was too high in volume. Got to bring it down. Kurt was also very specific about his voice and how it sounded. He always felt that the people uh, in the production side would have his voice too low in the levels and would always complain, hey, my vocals, they're too low. You need to raise them. I need to hear my vocals better. So he took great pride in the logistics of recording an album and not just, you know, standing up there or sitting down, sing and leave. He wanted it to sound perfect. The Nevermind album took nine days to mix. Now here we go. Kurt, around this time, meets Courtney Love. A mutual friend of theirs, 
was in a band. And Courtney would hang out with bands. That's what she did. She was a groupie and plus the fact she had her own band. But she would hang around bands. Like a groupie. Just the whole scene. She loved it. Well, they had some mutual acquaintances. Kurt and Courtney. Kurt showed up at an event and saw Courtney and a mutual friend horsing around. Being silly. Kurt was intrigued. And soon enough, was rolling around in the ground with them. Having fun. Kurt never forgot about this incident. After he left, he got her number and called her up because he couldn't stop talking about her. He missed her. Called her up at 2 a.m. The cover of Nevermind was his idea, Kurt. The naked baby in the water, the little penis stick out. (laughs) What a choice, right? And once again showing you, his fascination with babies and right fetuses and the, the young, you know, the progressions and just babies, I guess, period. It's showing up in his uh, artwork and his album covers. He used all of his art in all of his album covers or anything associated with his music. Kurt started actually making a little bit of money at this time. Not a lot. But he received a $500 bonus at this time. What did he do with the money, you ask? This is what he did. He went out and bought a car. A Plymouth Valiant. And he loved that car. Kurt got kicked out of his apartment. Because he didn't pay the rent. The video for Teen Spirit began shooting. That's noteworthy. It's historic, this video. Then, they spent one year on a tour with Sonic Youth. Courtney started hanging out with the band a little bit more and a little bit more. Then, the Teen Spirit single released in England. They had a party for this. The single coming out in England. And the band... Acted up. So much so. They were kicked out of their own party. Man. That's awesome. Okay. This is uh, another significant thing happened here. They performed at the Beehive. Now mind you at this time. There's a buzz about Nirvana. Haven't broke yet. But they're starting to get real popular. Locally. For sure. And there's a place called the Beehive. It looked like they're in the middle of a department store. I've seen clips of this, and they sing some great songs from their Nevermind album. And the place is packed. They said that the venue, the show was supposed to start at 7 p.m. There were people lining up at 2, five hours before the show started. Kurt looked around, got a little scared, and realized something's going to happen. He had a feeling that... Is something going to happen now? And he was feeling anxiety about it. And here he is wanting success. I mean, they have no money. They're working real hard. And they feel like they're on the cusp of something. Kurt felt it during this beehive thing that they did. And realized something's going to happen. 
and something's going to happen real soon. The record company wasn't prepared for the demand there would be for this album. There were back orders when Nirvana put out Nevermind. It was huge. Courtney Love went to visit her off-and-on boyfriend, Billy Corrigan of Smashing Pumpkins. But Billy's real girlfriend was there. So Courtney had to leave. So she decided to catch the last five minutes of Nirvana's show. And the rest is history. And before I wrap up this episode of The Actors Room, Kurt Cobain Part 3, I want to mention this incident. Shortly after the band released Nirvana's uh, Nevermind, uh, I'm sorry, Nirvana releasing Nevermind, they did a gig in Dallas at a place called Trees. Kurt was sick. He had the flu. Just, you know, fever, uh, not feeling well. So they had a doctor come in, shot him up in the ass with, the, you know, with antibiotics. Like, didn't even know what kind of antibiotics this doctor was giving him. But Kurt, not feeling well, felt, uh, okay, anything to make me feel better, I got a show to do. And he went on to do the show with a shitload of antibiotics, cough medicine, alcohol, whatever the hell else he had in him, whatever kind of drug he had in him, still did the show. Was so out of it and fucked up. He took his guitar and smashed it into one of the monitors on the stage. I guess the bouncer that was sitting on the edge of the stage to protect the band, that was his monitor. And he was fucking enraged. (laughs) Now, Kurt, still being, you know, loopy as hell, just got done smashing this monitor and was, like, crowd surfing. So he would, you know, jump into the crowd and they would throw him around. Well, the bouncer was still so pissed at Kurt. He would grab at his feet to pull him back to the stage and was so violent with Cobain. He was pulling at his hair. Really, well, I've seen clips of this. I mean, he's yanking on Cobain's hair to pull him back to the stage, plus getting a free little tug for, you know, busting up his monitors. Well, Kurt took his guitar while he's pulling him on stage and started bashing this guy in the head. With his guitar. Got a fight going on here. The bouncer just takes Kurt. Flings him to the stage. And starts pounding on him. Chris Novoselic's like whoa. You know he starts getting in the middle. Telling the bouncer to get the fuck away. I mean this was kind of. Really cool to watch actually. Because <laughs> no one's really going to. you know Get too hurt. You know monitor got bashed up. And you know Kurt's hair got pulled a little bit. And. He got punched in the face and kicked some, but goes to show you what happens when you're, you know, in a band, you're all fucked up on whatever it is you're fucked up on, mess. <laughs> it was quite uh, the sight to see. So I wanted to mention that little incident right around the time the band was about to explode. And I think that. I'm going to continue on for a little bit here, okay? 
because it was shortly after this incident, Nirvana got a fax from guess who? Metallica. Quote, this is what Metallica said to Nirvana in the fax. We dig Nirvana. We dig your band. Nevermind is the best album of the year. P.S. <laughs> Lars doesn't like the band. <laughs> of course. Of course he doesn't. Why would he? He likes Metallica. That's it. I'm just, you know, that's, but I like that. P.S. Lars doesn't like the band. All right. Never mind. The album went gold. Kurt marries Courtney. The advice from their friends? Don't do it. (laughs) You'll both end up strung out on heroin and dead at 35. That's what their friends predicted. 35. Kurt was already back on heroin. And I want to correct a misconception about Kurt and Courtney here. Uh, There are some out there that say that Courtney was the one that introduced Kurt to heroin or really got him going in that way. That's not true. Kurt was already pretty deep into heroin when he met Courtney. And Courtney was actually pretty clean at this point in her life. And uh, sort of making the decision to be with Kurt, she had to make the decision of being high with Kurt. If you were with Kurt, uh, yeah, you were doing drugs. So I wanted to correct that. And uh, both of them doing heroin. Pretty hardcore. While married. All this fame. And all this popularity. And Kurt was feeling the pressure. He was even nodding off. In interviews. Episode. Number three of Kurt Cobain. Done. And we will definitely wrap it up. Next week. Part four. It's going to be a hard one to do. Talking about his death. But I want to do it. I hope to learn more. About certain things. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe I'll learn something. But you know what? I hope you tune in next week. Uh, I hope you listen to this episode. This was kind of a crazy little episode. Just because I went off track a few times, did some silly things, um, I might cut that out. I don't like cutting shit out. I like listening to it. And if it's fun, I'll leave it in. I went on a rant. If I cut it out, I went on a rant. Not a rant. A fun little thing where I tried to act like somebody else that does podcasts in a very monotone voice. And I just couldn't do it. It was pretty incredible. Uh, and it, I used to act, so I was a little disappointed I wasn't able to do it. Uh, But if I practice hard enough, maybe I can in the future. Uh, So just a different kind of episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And tune in next week to learn more about Kurt Cobain, his life and death. Episode 55 of The Actors Room is over. My name is Jeff Tarowski. Please go on the website. I have a donate button on my website. It's on the right-hand side. You click on it. You donate 50 cents. I'm going to have to make a choice to broaden the show and make it more popular. Put some money 
into this show. But you have to do something for me too. This is important. You have to go on iTunes. It takes one minute. You go on there. You click and make a comment. Say, I really like your show. Keep it up. That took five seconds. Then you press on those stars. Give a five-star review. The reason why I'm asking you to do this is because if you take that 30 seconds and do this, my show becomes more popular on iTunes. When someone goes to search an actor or a show, my little show will be seen. It's really cool too. I'll put in a name, like really funny too. I'll put in River Phoenix in the search engine on iTunes and I am like the first show that comes up. Is that cool or what? River Phoenix is my most popular show. It like double the numbers of the second most popular show that I do. I'm very popular in River Phoenix circles, but everywhere else, not so much. Go on iTunes, do that, review, comment, please, for the love of God, please, I will send you something. I will. Like, this is good. Okay, if you go on there and make a five-star review and, and write a comment, I'll give you something. I swear. You give me your address. Uh, maybe that's too dangerous these days. People don't want to hand out addresses. But I will send you something. Like actor studio. Not actor studio. The actor's room in some way. Like these shows, these real popular ones, they hand out t-shirts, but they sell them. No, I'm not asking for any money. I'll be willing to give you something for free. You won't have to do a damn thing. All you would have to do is give me your address. I'll send you something. I'll make up t-shirts, man, or mugs. I'll give them away. Just if it bumps up my show and becomes more popular, it'll be worth it. That would be fun. I'd do it. I'd do it. It's cheap, you know? But people like getting stuff like that. They do. I'll be more than happy to do that. Boy, I must be crazy out of my mind sick. I'm just giving shit away. <laughs> Let me. Wow. Wow. Have a great night. Have a great evening. Thank you once again. Please support the show. God bless you. Have a good one.